Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Truth and Hope Report and the New York primary show. From Boise, Idaho, this is um, Adam Graham, and joining me is David Oatney from Watt Pond, Tennessee, and Hatton Humphrey from a certain state who <laughs> shall live in infamy. <laughs> I don't know if infamy is, the, infamy is the right word. You just... Right now, giving Trump sixty percent of the vote—that's pretty—that's uh, pretty much infamy. But uh, we'll we'll get into results here. Um, we'll talk preliminarily about them, and then there are a few topics that have come up, um, and we'll kind of dive uh, in depth on uh, some of those uh, since the last couple of weeks, and then we'll uh, go into more detail on New York and the road ahead. We'll start on the Democratic side, where Hillary Clinton um, exceeding the polls. It should not be surprising that she's uh, so dominating the state where she was a United States senator um, when she wasn't busy uh, plotting her path towards world domination. She had the senator gig as a guideline, as a sideline, but uh, she leads uh, 18%. Uh, um, lead over Bernie Sanders, 59 to uh, 40. And then on the Republican side, mm. we have evil. Um, I'll just, I should just, uh, I avoided, I will not call a, a presidential candidate on the air an evil Oopaloopa. So, um, Donald Trump, <laughs> I didn't do that, didn't go there. Uh, Donald Trump, 61% of the vote. John Kasich, 24% of the vote. And Ted Cruz uh, finishing at 14% of the vote. Uh, Trump's uh, performance so far tonight a bit stronger than um, expected, though uh, it, based on exit polls, this may draw a bit closer. Um, just quick uh, reactions. Um, first of all, on the Democratic side, coming in tonight, Hillary Clinton really on a losing streak, um, you know, and then, you know, we're going into next week where we'll have a lot of very similar states voting. Um, Hatton, do you think that this um, is going to kind of put Hillary over the hump and that she might be on cruise control from here on out? To be honest with you, Adam, um, I'm, I'm actually – not surprised. I'm I'm looking at, you know, as we've done these shows, I've kind of looked at the county by county map. And uh, for those precincts that have reported in, for those um uh, for those districts that have 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 reported in at this point, looking at the county by county, um Hillary Clinton won the ones that were important. She played the shell game very well again. Uh, when it came to 
um, spending time in the important counties. And um, uh, she she's won, you know, Brooklyn. She's won Queens. She's won Manhattan. She's won Westchester County. She's won Suffolk County. Um, you know, not by overwhelming percentages. I mean, look at Orange County. She she won by less than a full percentage point, um, or just at a full percentage point. Um, you know, going to the West, um, you know, she won Rochester, she won Syracuse, um, you know, which really was her goal. I mean, you get the population centers, you get what, where people, where, where the largest group of people are going to be, that's what you aim for, and that's what she did. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders has a lot of green uh, in on the map for the county. He won, he won Erie County, Niagara County. He won basically... Um, what's what's referred to as Western New York, um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. You live in the, you know, I live in this state, and it, you know, I've lived here since 2001. And the dichotomy of uh, of the urban versus the rural um, really comes into play here um, you, with these with these maps. I'm not surprised that Hillary won. She's good at the shell game. She's good at the um, She's good at playing those games. One of the surprising ones is Albany County, which is the um, the state capital, uh, in which Bernie Sanders actually won by two percentage points. Um, you know, the the rest, you know, it's it's a numbers game, and she played it very well. I'm not surprised. I don't know that this puts her over the hump, though. Um, you know, she's got more states to go. She's got. Um, you know, she's she's got the she's definitely got the advantage. She's always had the advantage. She's got the super delegate advantage by by a large margin. Um, and you know, ultimately, you know, people felt the burn tonight, uh, but not enough um, to to put him in the winning column. Well, I will say this, and and I've got to defer to. Hatton when it comes to the geography of the state of New York, uh, because as, as I said before we went into the show, this is your turf. It's kind of like me <laughs> giving commentary on Tennessee or Ohio. Uh, you know, you live there and you're 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 living it tonight. I mean, you voted today. Yep. Um, and so um, you you know this is you know these places. You've you've lived them. You've seen them. You you know people there. Um, but I will say this: part of what you said really ring, rung true to me when I thought about it. this is what Hillary has done, and this is typically how Democrats win elections. Period. They gun for the population centers. Um, mm -hmm. Matter of fact, that's how I knew uh, when I was able to tell you, Adam, back in 2012, with great deal of confidence, after Mitt Romney just barely won Ohio, and I looked at how he'd done it which is typically how a Democrat would do it. He gunned for all the population centers, and he didn't manage to, to carry uh, any of the rural areas but one that I knew of, any of the major rural areas, where the Republicans actually lived. And I remember telling you at that time, I said, he can't carry the state of Ohio. All those places he carried were going to be Democratic, and they did. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, um, you, don't, you don't carry a state... Um, Democrats typically do not carry states by gunning for rural areas. 
Bernie, I don't know why Bernie does as well as he does in, in rural areas. He tends to, in, in primaries and caucuses at least, do better in rural areas. And maybe it's because uh, some of his ideas about agriculture uh, ring true with a certain type of a farmer, shall we say, uh, the organic set and so forth. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I can't really quite explain that other than a certain amount of crossover that's going to occur in any primary, even a closed one. Um, I will say, though, that uh, it, this is not unexpected, any more unexpected than Mr. Trump winning, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Hillary knows this turf final. I remember when she first ran for the Senate in New York, and a lot of us said, well, she's not a New Yorker. And they'll catch on her. Uh, well, uh, she was enough of a Democrat for them. And yeah. I guess that was enough, you know. Uh, and by now, of course, she really does know the ground. This is not a case of uh, she was unfamiliar with it and has to go on a listening tour. Um, I'm sure a lot of those people still see her as uh, their senator, their representative in many ways. And, um, you know, this is really, she, she sees New York as her home state. I think uh, at this point that's no longer a phony claim. And uh, I think she laid claim to her home state tonight and uh, did very well there. Not entirely unexpected. And she did so uh, by doing it in the way that Democrats typically win elections. And uh, that's up to, in the places where Bernie Sanders has won, that's typically been the way that he has won. And the fact that he couldn't do that in New York tonight uh, shows us that he's going to have some trouble in higher population areas, and he has that's been the case throughout this cycle. He has tended to have more trouble in areas with higher population, and in the South, where his ideas are simply not as well accepted. Well, yeah. and there's, there's there's a demographic thing with uh, Bernie and the uh, black community. I think that that does come into play, um, and I I think that. Uh, it also does, you know, when you talk about this urban versus rural, that definitely raises, you know, questions of, uh, because Bernie's success, I think, depends, you know, his chance to really carry this fight to the uh, Democratic Convention really does depend on him doing very well in the state of California. And while Los Angeles and New York, are very different. Um, his inability to connect with urban Democrats and minority voters, I think, has got to be uh, troubling uh, for the long-term viability of the Sanders campaign. I mean, I think that they do have some primaries ahead yet that they can win, but I think it's going to be pretty problematic for them. Well, I think we have yeah. to remember that the Democratic Party is not just, in the modern era, an urban party. It is historically an urban party. Even old-time conservative Democrats like uh, Al Smith were, were creatures of, uh, of the urban political machine. Uh, in the South, the Democratic Party got its, its characteristic of being, uh, in, in certain areas, this, this is the case here in Tennessee, uh, in the old days, the Democrats would carry the town and the Republicans would carry the county. And... Um, uh, it was that way for years and years and years. The Democrats built their entire machine around carrying large population centers. And if Bernie Sanders cannot carry 
population centers where Democrats tend to be located, particularly inner cities, he's going to have a lot of trouble. Now, uh, Hatton, um, the polls have pretty much indicated Donald Trump winning the state of New York by more than a majority. Uh, mm-hmm. He seems to, as of right now, be close to 60% um, above that, um, which I think is the second highest outside of Marco Rubio in Puerto Rico and uh, Ted Cruz's victory in the Utah caucus. Um, in terms of momentum for the race, um, do you think that this is going to be really uh, critical, pivotal, decisive for Trump? Um, or how do, you, how do you see just the scope of this victory uh, that we're seeing uh, tonight? Well, um, before I answer that question, I have, I have four points that I want to bring up about the New York primary. And maybe these should have been said earlier. Um, the New York primary is a closed primary. The only parties that had held primaries were Republican and Democrat. There's nine other political parties that you can register with in the state. Um, everything from socialist to libertarian and a, a an actual conservative party. Um, and as a closed primary, there's a six-month pre-registration window. So you had to register in either Republican or Democrat primary six months ago. Uh, we're, not seeing in, we're not seeing early voting having an issue. Um, to answer your question, though, it is a, um, it's, it's a continuation for, for Mr. Trump. Um, he's a New Yorker. He's, he, he, he carries the moxie, and he's going to carry that on into the other states. Um, uh, honestly, I think the um, the cons- you know going into New York, a lot of folks were looking at well, if 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 Cruz and Kasich can can keep his his victory percentage to um, you know less than fifty five or or fifty three percent, then you know the concept of a a brokered convention becomes. You know, more of a reality because because of how delegates are allocated on the Republican side, and you know basically if you get over a certain percentage, you get all three of the of the district's uh, delegates. If you get under, if you win but get less than a certain percentage, you get two, and the second place person gets one. It's it, it quite honestly is is convoluted. Um, does this? I don't think I I think this solidifies his campaign. Uh, I think it, um, it it does nothing to deter, to deter his detractors, but the size and scope of his victory in the state of New York, when translating that to a a, a na- the national campaign, you know, outside of the primaries, it, it makes some people stand up and take notice from a you know, could he or couldn't he win the state of New York, which, if I remember right, hasn't happened since when, 1988? 1980, yeah, 1988. I, I mean, it, it has been pointed out regarding the general election here. As of right now, Donald Trump is getting 281,000 votes in the Republican primary. 
um, and he's you know running away with it. Bernie Sanders is getting 500,000 votes in the Democratic primary, and he's being roundly thrashed. Well, um, and, and, and that kind of speaks to the splintered nature of, of, of this primary, because the people registered in independence, conservative, libertarian, um, and any of the other you know sub you know you know third parties that would normally caucus with a Republican if they were in elected office cannot vote in the Republican primary. Right, and, and I think that is a key point, and particularly when you take a look at you know the very low performance by Ted Cruz, many people who would. Uh, be voting for Cruz in any other state cannot because uh, th- because they're members of the conservative party, um, right. which you know Sean Hannity, for example, was not able to vote. Though I think we all know um, who he would have voted for, um, <laughs> even though he's officially uh, neutral uh, in terms of uh, the way that things have been going with him and Trump. But, uh, David, what are your thoughts on just the uh, breadth of this um, of this victory? We'll go into congressional districts a little later on after we get to some other topics, but what are your thoughts on just the pure uh, breadth of Trump's uh, victory tonight? Well, first of all, you, let's clear that up. You're correct about the presence, particularly, I'm glad you mentioned it, of the conservative party of the state of New York. Um, and New York's primary isn't just closed; it's what I would call hyper-closed. Uh, lots of state has lots of states have closed primaries, but it is still relatively easy to um, switch because the registration window isn't six months; um, it's, it's maybe 30 days, and in some cases, it could be the same day depending on how it's done. But it changes your registration in the book and changes your official party membership, but uh, New, York's ha- New York has some of the tightest uh, primary rules in, in all parties in the country. It has a lot of political parties. The conservative parties, the conservative party has not only caucus with Republicans, but nominated Republicans for, uh, on, to run on their line. Um, you know, the conservatives nominated Ronald Reagan uh, in 1984. And because of the conservative party line, it's believed that that was the reason Reagan won the state of New York um, both times that he ran, because he could not have won the state of New York um, just on the Republican vote alone. He had to get the votes of of some people who were content to vote on the conservative party line. And um, uh, that's a really interesting dynamic because there were a lot of people, as Adam mentioned, that might have voted for Ted Cruz that weren't voting today. But even taking that into consideration, um, the fact that Ted Cruz is running third right now, uh, that's got to be, that really, really does some damage to the Cruz campaign. Now, in no way does it knock him out of there, in no way does it diminish the possibility at this point of a brokered convention in which he's going to be heavily involved New York and the Republican Party right now doesn't decide nominations in and of itself, but because of the nature of this contest, the fact that Cruz is running third tonight, it really does hurt him. Uh, 
John Kasich did some damage to Ted Cruz tonight. Uh, and I don't, the last time I looked, which was shortly before we went to air, uh, John Kasich was carrying, although not by much, New York County itself. And, um, and that said a lot to me about that Kasich had quite an appeal among a certain block of Republican voters. And the person who's serving as a result of that isn't Donald Trump. Tonight is a night when John Kasich did his damage to Ted Cruz, not Donald Trump. And um, uh, this really is going to hurt the Cruz camp. And it's going to help Donald Trump in his delegate count. Now, is it going to get him uh, to that magic number of 1237? Uh, probably not. But it's going to bolster his claim that he that he can get there in in the weeks ahead. Uh, if he if he wins by a large enough margin, and it looks like he might tonight, it's going to continue to bolster his claim that there's a possibility and a window for him, and that if he doesn't get there, that it's fixed against him. We know that it's not, but um, he, he's winning by a substantial margin tonight, uh, enough that he's going to pick up a lot of delegates, and he's going to uh, he's going to get closer to that magic number. And, you know, if he does get the 1237, we've said it all along, even if he just barely gets it, uh, there's nothing that can be done to stop him. Uh, right. Because the delegates who, who, the delegates, it doesn't matter if the delegates don't particularly like him, if they're bound to vote for him on the first ballot, and he's got 1,237 votes, he's the nominee. Uh, so... <clears throat> This, this this bolsters his claim on the nomination. There's no question to that. It does not mean the race is over by any stretch, but it is a huge boost to his campaign for the nomination and a real blow to Ted Cruz. There's no question of that. Yeah, well, I think I think the, the, the true loser in this is the um is Ted Cruz. I mean I'm 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 sitting here and, and we'll go over the counties as as uh Adam said you know, a little later, we've still got a few waiting to come in, but just looking at the preliminaries, um, I expected Ted Cruz to do better. Um, the, the John Kasich win in a couple of counties, quite honestly, surprises me uh, in a number of different ways. But, um, but yeah, the, 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 the fact that Donald Trump right now is, and his lead is, has been reduced below the 60% mark, um, at least according to Politico, uh, it's at 59.7, um, but it wasn't Cruz that that pushed him, that pulled him down. It was Kasich that pulled him down. Um, you know, it's this is this, this is definitely not a not a. <laughs> you know, this is almost as good as Rubio's. I got third. Well, I I, I think in terms of. Um, the overall impact to uh, Ted Cruz, um, it, you know, I think that this whole area of the country was going to be a problematic period for Ted Cruz in particular. Uh, you know, you have the whole New York values um, comment, which you know got twisted and turned to mean everything up and you know, including ridiculously anti-Semitism, which. It, it clearly uh, didn't. Um, and then you just had the demographics of the state. It was always going to be a very tough 
area for Ted Cruz. Um, I will admit I, I'm a bit surprised by Kasich um, doing as well as he did in a way, and it may just reflect the, the number of conservatives in New York's, uh, and I say conservatives relatively, because as we just t- discussed, so many conservatives are actual members of the conservative party. Um, because typically primaries are not that big of a deal, and it's more being a registered conservative and being able to have an impact to make sure that the Republican Party does not go too cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs to the left with its particular uh, nominees. Um, but but I, I think that this is not a good night for Ted Cruz. It's certainly not a fatal blow. It does help you know, John Kasich, perhaps marginally, um, I think it would help Kasich more if he weren't such a distant second in this thing. You know, it's like when he finished, you know, 30 points behind Trump in Massachusetts. Um, it was second place. Um, but I, I, I do wonder how many people are going to switch to John Kasich because he got 25% of the vote in the state of New York. Um, I, I think that I, I think that it may help him marginally in some of the states coming up, which we'll get into. But first, we need to talk about something that is a serious outrage. According to Donald Trump campaign surrogates, uh, it is comparable to the Gestapo, um, and it is comparable to Jim Crow. And, of course, we're referring to the Colorado Republican Convention, where mm. – um, <laughs> Where we had a where we had the state of Colorado hold a convention, which began with um, precinct caucuses, which elected delegates to uh, county uh, conventions, who elected delegates to district and state conventions to choose the Republican uh, nominee and uh, the Republican delegates, and they chose them for Ted Cruz. So, David. Which is this more like? Is this more? And Ted Cruz was able to win because he had a list of his preferred candidates at the convention, which, according to Trump's new delegate wrangler, is equivalent to the Gestapo uh, tactics. Um, because you know the Gestapo was all about handing out list of delegates. Um, David, and, and having Gestapo, which is this more like the Gestapo or or Jim Crow? Uh, these uh, conventions in Colorado and Wyoming. Yeah, the mind you, these public conventions, um, these free exercises in civil uh, in, in civil polity uh, are so like the Gestapo. Um, these processes that were open to the public that we could all observe, you know. That's just so likely to stop her. Um, what it shows us in reality, of course, is that the Trump campaign is amateur hour. Um, these processes within the Republican Party, and for that matter, the Democratic Party has somewhat similar processes of their own. Um, you know, they're they're going to be different according to the rules of that. Political formation, but they've got their own processes. And these processes occur every election cycle, just like this. We don't normally hear about them, and the reason we don't normally hear about them 
is because a presidential candidate with a professional campaign operation uh, mm -hmm. is going to have someone who is going to be very quietly in charge of getting the delegates that they want. And if they can't get the delegates they want, then they're going to get delegates that are going to vote their way. And they're going to do it quietly and behind the scenes. They're going to do it by negotiation if necessary with some of the local party people. Uh, and they, they're going to have people on the floors of some of these caucuses and conventions to ensure that either the people they want are made delegates or or, or people that they think they can trust uh, on the first ballot are made delegates. And they can do this very quietly uh, and without fanfare. And they do it professionally in the way that doesn't violate party rules and they're not complaining about party rules. Enter the Donald Trump scenario. Uh, he, he doesn't have a professional operation and those few people that are working for him that are uh, noted typical professionals uh, don't have the most sterling reputation for, for various reasons. And he's wondering why in the world he can't pick up delegates when he, if he's the front runner, should, uh, should be able to do so if he had a professional operation. This is not a matter of the party simply being against him on the inside, although that's certainly there. You know, there's no question that there are a lot of people inside the party apparatus that are against him. Gee, wonder who, Adam. Uh, at least uh, one of us is on the phone tonight. Okay, um, so I, you know, I can I can vouch for that. I'm in that group, but it doesn't matter. There were people inside the party apparatus that didn't particularly like John McCain. A lot of them didn't like John McCain, but John McCain ended up the nominee without any of this kind of fuss about delegates. But yet these processes were going on the whole time. But we didn't hear about them. Why? Because John McCain had a professional campaign apparatus and was able to do these things and round up these delegates and get the job done without much fuss and, and, and nobody knew the wiser and rules were followed, and procedures were followed, and everybody was clear on the process, and everybody was happy with the outcome. Maybe not happy with who won, but happy that it was done fairly, in, in a fair and reasonable way. Uh, and now we have Donald Trump saying, well, the system is stacked against me, and it's rigged, and it's fixed. No. The rules are what the rules are. Now, we can talk about whether or not the rules need to be reformed. We can talk about whether or not there needs to be rules reformed whether or not the system needs to be changed. Uh, you know, and, and lots of us believe that there could be various different kinds of reform of the system. I'm, I'm open to that. But these are the rules we have now. In most states, they are the rules that have been in place in, in some form or other for quite some time. In the state of Colorado, they've been in place since 1912. Um, in Tennessee, they've been in place at least for the last 20 years. Okay, so the rules are established, the processes are established, and they've been going on for some time. But we only hear about them now because Trump's campaign people have no idea what they're doing. And this is amateur hour. That's what this is. Yeah, uh, I, and I, I think that the, there's definitely some, um, some of that going on. 
And, you know, Rush Limbaugh actually suggested um, that Trump's strategy was to lose and to complain about it. I, I think that that was his backup strategy, um, uh, was to complain about it and turn it into a cause uh, celeb. Do you think that there's victory of getting people who might to, sympathetic to say, we've got to go out and vote for Trump um, because uh, they're trying to steal the election um, through things like Colorado and Wyoming and things such as no. Cruz getting all these delegates elected? I'll be honest with you. Um, the, the Colorado news stories got maybe a blip. Uh, on most of the local outlets, um, you know the, the the talking heads, you know in this area, you know remember, you know in New York Republicans are outnumbered two to one in, in general. <laughs> that's and and that's not that's not being you know defeatist. That's just that's what this state is. You know, Trump and Trump and Hillary run, won New York City. Boom, they won the state. Um, you know that goes back to that population centerpiece, um, but in all honesty, I don't think that the support that has been shown for Trump uh, is a case of, you know, you know, trying to correct what happened in in other states. Um, to be honest with you, um, the population centers voted for Trump because he's from New York. He sounds like them. They can at least understand him. And, um, you know, he, he, he didn't back down, um, in my own household and, and, you know, very rarely do I disclose this, but I will tonight. Um, I voted for Cruz. My wife voted for Trump. And and we had a, a logical, reasoned conversation about why each of us were voting for the person we voted for. Um, the, the reason that Trump has resonated in, at least in western New York, and I'm assuming that this is what's resonating, why he has all but one county uh, on the map that I'm looking at, maybe two counties, um, absolutely locked up uh and, and that is um the 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 people the the people of the rural areas of New York are tired of political correctness um the the people in the population centers um don't like Cruz don't know Kasich um you know i i think most of Kasich's you know Kasich's vote were were people that that couldn't stand voting for for Cruz, but you know didn't want to vote for Trump. I think it was the you know the other choice. Uh, surprisingly, you know, like on my ballot, uh, I still had um, uh, Ben Carson on my yeah. ballot, and um, surprisingly, nobody's voted for Ben Carson at this point. Um, so I, you know, I. I Honestly, I don't think Colorado played into this. Like I said, um, I think he just came out and, you know, as much as, as you would say, you know, his Colorado campaign was amateur hour, uh, his New York campaign was not. He had 12,000 people uh, yesterday at the um, at the same stadium that – the Buffalo Sabres play at um, 
not a packed arena by any means, but you know, the Niagara Center, first Niagara Center um, had had twelve thousand people at his rally. Um, Bernie Sanders, who also carried Erie and Niagara County, went to University of Buffalo and absolutely, they were talking about the line that started at six in the morning for a seven p.m. event that was snaked out over a mile in length. Wow. For people yeah, coming to the Bernie well, Sanders campaign. Well, I, I mean, the thing, though, with Trump, um, him having a rally with a lot of people uh, at it isn't necessarily what we're, we're talking about when it comes to amateur hour or not, because that's the whole Trump campaign is filling um, – route uh, stadiums well, full of people who come out and watch it, and then they go home. Um, and there was actually a, a story I was reading in the Syracuse paper mm-hmm. where um, the state party is decide, you know, this is not a cruise thing at all, but the state party uh, is going to elect delegates independent of what Donald Trump wants. Um, they will be sending people, they'll vote for Donald Trump, or and at least John Kasich will get one delegate, and I, I think may, may pick up considerably more, um, but they will vote for the candidates, but these will not be loyalists um, for Donald Trump um, who are going to be appointed. These are going to be New York Republican uh, Party regulars. And that tends to be where people are talking about the disorganization because with Donald Trump, he just relies on the big, the big campaign rally, the stadium of people. I, um, I, I made the point that he is the American Idol candidate. He uh, basically mm-hmm. sells people on the idea that they can change America by just going out and voting and no additional work required whatsoever. Um, you know, so you don't get the volunteers, so you don't build the organization to go to the uh, various uh, meetings that elect delegates. Well, and he's not done any of that, right? Uh, it, that it, is, that's where you get the amateur hour, because when you're running for president in a presidential primary and caucus system where there are delegates apportioned, there are two groups of people whose flesh you got to press. Number one is the average voter, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Number two, and this is what normally happens behind the scenes, but in the case of the Trump campaign, it's happening in a very public way, um, is that you've got to press the flesh of the party regulars. This is not necessarily the so-called establishment. It's just people who are active in the party. Ninety percent of these people are ordinary people. They are not people of the political class slash the establishment. They're just Joe Blow who lives down the street, and maybe he's a precinct captain. Well, somebody from the Trump campaign better approach him because if he's not going to be a delegate to the national convention, he knows somebody who is or who could be, okay? Um, You know, similarly, for example, our state executive committee members here in Tennessee, well, there are a few of them who are really part of the political class, okay? John Ryder, who's our Republican National Committeeman, outgoing. Okay, uh, who's, you may have seen his name in political and political and places like that. Big time Memphis lawyer, 
and I've uh, been involved in Republican politics for years and years, and uh, really a rules guy and an establishment man all the way. Uh, Oscar Brock, who was actually a friend of mine, and I know I know Oscar, but if that name sounds familiar to you, he's the son of you know, his Senator Bill Brock. Uh, in, in a certain sense, you can say, well, these are establishment people um, by virtue of the fact that they are they are really of the political class. But the, the vast majority of the members of the state executive committee here, and I think this is probably the case in most states, are just, particularly those that come from rural areas, they're just ordinary people who've been active in the party for years at the local level. They ran for a seat on the state executive committee, or they were asked to do so. And um, they're not of the political class or the so-called establishment. They're just a grassroots activist person but they have sway over who's appointed delegate. In most years, the presumptive nominee or the leading or the leading candidate at this point would would have enough of an organization to sway those people or sway those who could sway those people. Uh, and, and that would be done behind the scenes without much fanfare. You wouldn't be hearing about it. You wouldn't be hearing a Donald Trump cry about how the process is unfair. It's all done according to the rules. In this case, the, the rules haven't changed. The process hasn't changed. But Donald Trump's organization is such that he's, he's, his campaign is incapable of doing that. Ted Cruz, on the other hand, has a professional operation filled with people that know what they're doing, and they're going out there and they're rounding up these delegates like a professional campaign should be doing. That's exactly... They're doing things exactly the way that it should be done, only... They're doing it, and Trump isn't. Otherwise, Trump would have already clinched the nomination. That's first of all. But I have to agree with Hatton in this respect. Trump cannot make that complaint at all about the state of New York, particularly the city of New York, because I have read in multiple sources, of which Politico is one, but there are many others, that in the city of New York, he actually has a lot of what we might classify as establishment support, the political class, um, elected officials, people who are supporting him, particularly in places like Staten Island, which is really the last bastion of republicanism in the city of New York at all. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of support on, on Staten Island and not just among the voters, but among the political class, that is the establishment. And, and in New York, Trump has a lot of that support tonight. So right. He, and, and, and not supporting me. Well, that's crap. And, and, and much of that, too, you know, the establishment that Trump has backing him in New York and uh, certainly in some of the states that are upcoming is what national Republicans have traditionally meant, uh, meant by the establishment. Uh, when they have referred to that, uh, you know, in that derisive term. Um, and I think that it's, um, you know, I, I think you're right. It's a definitely a state of disorganization. Um, and uh, we are, we've got a lot of results coming in from New York. Uh, some count, uh, districts still pretty close in terms of, um their actual delegates. So we'll hold off just a second because we, uh, when we get into the actual county by or district by district, um, which 
I'm looking at on the New York State Board of Elections. But I want to talk about what's ahead on both sides. Um, next week is Super Tuesday Free Rhino Tuesday, um, where we have Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, um, Rhode Island, and um, Pennsylvania um, voting. And taking a look at that, um, on the Democratic side, I think this looks to be a um, – this might actually be a um, – um, a primary that Hillary Clinton could have a good chance of actually sweeping uh, all of these states on the Democratic side. Um, uh, Rhode Island is probably a bit more iffy. I, I think Rhode Island may be Sanders' best chance. Um, Hatton, do you, how do you do you think um, it, uh, Hillary does have a really good opportunity next week to? Um, follow up on New York with the sweep of these other states? Um, Connecticut, yes. Delaware, yes. Maryland, maybe. Pennsylvania, mm, potentially. Pennsylvania is a weird bird of a state. Rhode Island, possibly as well. Um, you know, with uh, and the reason that I say that is because of, uh, of their uh, proximity to New York City. And, you know, the cities from each of those states are all feeder cities for um, uh, for workers that, that work in the New York City or, or New York City County area, um, you know, but, uh, but don't want to live in the city. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, Pennsylvania's had uh, the infrastructure issues still um, – you know, she's there's not as many urban centers for her to to woo in Pennsylvania, um, and their their population is spread out a bit more. Um, kind of akin, if she does win Pennsylvania, which she probably will, um, I don't think it's going to be you know by a large margin, and I think the map's going to look very much like New York, um, with uh, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, you know, mainly going for her. And Sanders sweeping the rest because, um, you know, that mentality. You know, we we talked we've talked about it a few times. It just comes back to, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are really fed up with business as usual politicians, and um, the one thing that Bernie Sanders has done a really good job of doing is distancing himself as a um, as a run of the mill politician. Well, and I have to agree with, with Hatton on this, and I'll go so far as to say, and I've said it before, uh, Adam, in, in previous shows, and I think Hatton heard me say it a million times, um, as much as I distrust Donald Trump uh, and I dislike what he's doing to the party nationally, I dislike what is happening, I dislike the discord, I dislike the hatred, I dislike a lot of things, uh, I use we in the collective sense when I say this. We created this monster. Mm-hmm. We we did this uh, for for a number in a, in a number of ways. But one of the ways because I, you know, I I can't speak for what's going on in New York tonight. I'm sure that that you know, it's not so much the case in New York, but that as you know, Trump did very well in the South outside of Texas. And we talked about that, and I think. 
And one of the reasons uh, he carried relicals and other deeply religious people by a large margin. I don't understand why, other than that for years, the Republican Party has 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 campaigned to these people, campaigned on their issues, campaigned on the things that a lot of them care about, and 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 can't and didn't deliver largely because on some of those issues they can't deliver, they could never deliver in some cases. It, it was not ever going to be possible in, in some cases to deliver on some of those things. And yet uh, they repressed that flesh for all it was worth. And and now I think some of the people are figuring out. Well, they 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 didn't deliver on our issues. A lot of them are concerned about immigration. They're concerned about the trade debt, about these things. They see Donald Trump saying the things he's saying. It resonates with them. Um, it, it resonates in ways I really don't like at all, but it does. And they're saying, well, if if we're not going to address these other issues, we're going to vote for somebody to address some issues we do care about that um, that the Republican Party just doesn't seem to care about anymore. Uh, Pat Buchanan said it several months ago in a column that I read it. It's as though people are out there saying to the, the establishment class, we have had enough of your policies, and we have had enough of you. And, well, and um, I think I think a lot of it... Yeah, I I, th- I think a lot of that. Now I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Sorry, Adam, um, it, because that was part of the conversation that I had with my wife today. Um, you know, she looks at, you know, and, and some of it is is media fed, but the Republican Party, you know, in Congress, in the state houses, especially in New York State, um, there is a lot of anger and distrust of the elected class um, when it comes to the state level in New York State because, you know, New York State, I've said this before, when it comes to our state government, it's an oligarchy. You know, when, when they do the budget, the governor and the leader of the assembly and the leader of the Senate and now um, a, a two other elected officials – meet in a room and hammer out the budget. And then that budget gets turned into legislation that's put before the the, the House and the Assembly, and they're told, pass it. <clears throat> and, and and that's very well publicized. So well, there there's a huge amount, especially in New York State, of distaste and disdain for people that have the taint and and I use that word very carefully, the taint of elected office. And that's why that's where Donald Trump comes in. He doesn't. And he does resonate and the things that he's saying. And you know, we can sit here and say, well, we know how the game is played in Washington. We can sit here and say, you know, it's the Congress is going to stop him. The Senate, you know, the, the Senate's not going to go for it. The House isn't going to go for it. We're going to lose the House or the Senate or both in the midterms. And it's going to be a, a, a disastrous presidency. But this is what the publication and the media inference of politics as usual has created. Sorry, Adam, go ahead. Well, I think, you know, 
the reasons for Trump rise are understandable, as is the fact that, um, you know, I, I think that the decision to back Trump is, it's, it's kind of as if, um, because you see, particularly when it comes to influence and the power of the oligarchy, I mean, I, I don't want to just, you know, hammer Donald Trump, you know, poor Donald Trump, everybody picks on him, um, you know, and everybody's against him. It's just him against the world. But if I can just get, you know, a, a few jabs in here. Now, it, it, the situation with Donald Trump is that he has been part of that uh, uh, that political class that um, has sat there and influenced and spent money to uh, shape public policy and to corrupt our leaders. It is as if you got tired of, all, of the way all the druggies in your town were acting up and you decided to act, elect one of the drug dealers. I mean, that is the logic of voting for Donald Trump. Um, it, it's, you know, it's emotion. It's all these things that make for poor decision-making that we do see in this election. You know, apologies to you, but that's just how I call it. Um, but let's, let's turn now, though, to the um, – that's a good segue into the Republican side of these um, states that are coming up. And polling in most of these states has been very good um, for Donald Trump. Um, We have in these states public polls in four of them, and all four of them show Donald Trump out by a fair margin. Uh, There was some ones earlier in Maryland that kind of showed some tightening um, in that race, but um, more of those have shown him in double digits. Um, actually, we haven't had any polling in Rhode Island. So the three we've had polling in, uh, Maryland, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, have all been uh, pretty good uh, for Donald Trump. Um, and um, it's possible he could win all of those, including Delaware and I think probably Rhode Island. Um, uh, I, I think that... Um, Pennsylvania is interesting because the way that they elect their delegates, only 17 are actually tied to the results of the primary, and it's winner-take-all of those 17 uh, delegates uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. However, the rest are elected at large with no, um, as uncommitted delegates, and Ted Cruz's campaign is saying that they believe that half of those delegates who will be elected um, in the state of Pennsylvania will be in favor of their campaign. And uh, Maryland is a vote by congressional district, and there are certainly some congressional districts in the state of Maryland um, that could go for John Kasich, uh, particularly around the Beltway. And then there also, uh, there's also, I think, one conservative district in Maryland that could go for Cruz. And Delaware and Rhode Island, we haven't heard any polls out of. Rhode Island strictly uh, proportional. Delaware is winner-take-all, and that one I do wonder about because everybody has that in the Trump column, but there's no polling there, and they're basing it solely on the fact that it's next door to Maryland. And I do think of Christine O'Donnell's win in 2010 in Delaware. Steve Forbes won the primary in 1996. There are some things in there that indicates Delaware Republicans may be more conservative and might uh, go another way, 
Um, but um, I, I do want to ask, um, same question. I will start with David. Do you think we're going to be looking at a sweep for Trump next week, or what? What do you expect to see happen to happen next week based on the results that we're seeing as an act? Well, I'm, I'm not sure that there'll be a sweep for Trump, but I think the possibility that he's going to win the majority of those states is is very high, and. What he's got to count on at this point are two things. Number one, margin of victory is going to mean a lot for a collection of delegates. He's got to win margin of victory in these states, similar to what he's doing tonight in New York, um, to avoid a brokered convention. Uh, we also have to pay heed to the fact that we're going to go into a series of states uh, in late April and early May that are going to be more friendly to Chad Cruz. So Donald Trump needs to rack up not only victory, but large victory, big victory, sweeping victory um, in, in, in the next couple of weeks uh, in some of these places. Secondly, though, um, in, in New York, he had the organization. I think Hatton had a good point. Um, he has the organization on the ground in New York, in large part, though, because he's from there. I don't think he... I don't think he put a lot of people on the ground, per se. I think a lot of people already on the ground uh, in the party apparatus, particularly in the large metropolitan areas, were for him. He's not going to have that advantage in these states coming up. He's going to have a whole lot of those people uh, in the apparatus that don't particularly like him. And again, you're going to end up dealing with the same issue. This is where the campaign organization is going to come in. Um... He can't complain about the process is unfair uh, if he simply refuses to play by the rules. Uh, you, if you're going to class yourself the front runner, you're going to win these states, and you're going to pick up delegates, you've got to go into the delegate sorting process, as I like to call it, organized enough to play that game. So far, Trump has not proven himself to be that well organized with the money and the resources that he has, he should have a much more professional campaign operation than he does. That's what that's what is uh, uh, really disturbing about this. This is supposed to be the so-called front runner, and uh, we're going into a series of states which where he should do well, but there's no guarantee that he in the end is going to get the full slate of delegates that he needs to wrap up the nomination before the convention, precisely because of his own campaign's ineptitude at organization. And there's well, no call. Yeah, yeah that, that does go into an article I was reading uh, today, David, where uh, in Pennsylvania the, uh, that one of the Trump supporters, um, delegates, wanted to get together a group you know, like a slate of Trump delegates, you know, get a website together where people, you know, where they could band together and call Trump campaign for help, and they wouldn't even send him a Make America uh, Great Again hat. I mean, that is the level of disorganization, you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, where the lion's share of the delegates are going to be elected on this at-large uh, ballot. And Trump, you know, these are the rules, and Trump, you know, isn't preparing um, uh, for them. And that's going to make up a huge chunk of the delegates that are going to be elected next Tuesday. Um, well, 
What's really disturbing is that he's got a lot of his supporters who are relatively new to the political process, and that's not a bad thing, okay? Um, but these people actually think that this is a democratic, small, de-democratic process, and it's not. None of this is. These are preference primaries. Um, these are not meant to be, well, the winner of the primary gets, uh, gets the juice, you know. Um, no, that, that's not how it works. The winner of the primary doesn't have to uh, get the nomination. Uh, it's a preference primary. Now, 99% of the time, they do get the nomination. There are rules about the allocation of delegates as it relates to the winner of these primaries. But that requires, making sure that that is followed through with, requires a campaign organization that knows the rules and makes sure that they abide by them and their delegates are appointed properly according to them. We're not seeing that from Donald Trump. He's simply winning these preference primaries, and then when it comes around to the delegate sorting process, uh, his campaign isn't organized to deal with that, whereas a more professional operation would be organized to deal with that. And then he expects, well, I, I won the primary, so therefore I should get the delegates. It's never worked that way. It's time for a civics lesson. It's never worked that way. The reason why we've never heard these kind of complaints before is simply because other campaigns have the organization to deal with the reality on the ground, that they actually have to work to round up these delegates that they proceeded to earn when they won the primary. Um, yeah. and, and most campaigns and most operatives know that. Donald Trump just says, well, I won the primary, therefore um, I get my way. Well, that's not how it works. Primaries exist because the political parties say that that's how they're going to select their delegates. The vast majority of these parties could decide tomorrow we're going to select our delegates a different way. We're going to, um, we're going to have our delegates allocated entirely by a closed system um, you know, at, at the state central committee meeting or what have you. Uh, they, they could do that, you know, uh, depending on state law. Uh, yeah. We have an alternative system in Tennessee for the choosing of delegates if either political party chose not to have a primary. It's there. The yeah. reality is Trump's not organized to deal with these things, and, and this is where you're seeing the disorganization. What's shocking about it is this guy is supposedly a self-funder. This guy should have the money to deal with these problems that a professional campaign would not have to deal with. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think there are many ways it could, could be uh, said. And, it, you know, it does speak to the fact that, you know, all these promises about only promoting, choosing the best people, we're, we're kind of seeing how that works out with Trump. Um, Hatton, um where do you where do you see um, uh, this campaign going in these primaries ahead in Delaware, in Maryland, in Pennsylvania, uh, in uh, Rhode Island, and Connecticut uh, on the Republican side for Donald Trump? Um, well, I, honestly, I, if anything, I think it's going to be a continuation. Um, Again, he's got influence and, and probably similar organization, um, you know, in those in those states that I mentioned for Hillary. Um, 
you know, when we're when we're looking at Connecticut and Delaware and uh, Pennsylvania, or I mean, sorry, Connecticut, Delaware, Rhode Island, Maryland again is a question mark. Um, yeah, you know, you've got yeah. there. I don't know that you have the same attitude of voter that you're going to in the rural areas that you're going to have. In a, in the rural areas areas of New York or Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania probably is going to go for for Trump as well. And honestly, I see Pennsylvania as as one as a bigger win for him, um, more from the from the concept in fact that you know, he knows how to he, he does. It's a winner take all state, and he knows how to fire up the population bases. Better than Ted Cruz, um, he comes off as as a better candidate than Ted Cruz. Be, you know, in, in the rallies. I mean, I, I'll point out something here, and I know you guys. I, I know you. I think David, you said you know filling auditoriums and stadiums is what Donald Trump does. But in the week ish prior to tonight. We had Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump all in what it, what I've always called flyover country, and that's where I live, in, in Buffalo, in Niagara Falls, in Rochester, in Syracuse, and in Albany. They all made stops and they all gave speeches. Ted Cruz and... and, and my buddy Joseph, who's listening along in, in, in on the talk shoe line, um, you basically said you know, <laughs> Ted Cruz threw this away. Uh, Ted Cruz threw away New York State. He did one stop in Buffalo that was a closed recording session for an for an MSNBC town hall, and he did a speech in Rochester. And I will also you know, point out, and I will also point out that Bernie Sanders has collected, uh, as of right now, 42.5% of the vote in New York State, and he took a day and a half off to fly to the Vatican and back. Which I still don't quite understand. But um, uh, I, will say this, uh, I, I, will say, I will say this uh, to Hatton. Uh, I don't want to discount... Um, that kind of activity. In, in saying that this is what Trump does, it should never be discounted that somebody um, could hold huge rallies, fill stadiums, and attract that kind of political attention in a, in a situation like this. Um, that that should never, ever be discounted. Um, and and I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm completely discounting it. I mean, if I were running in a primary like this, I would hope that I could fill stadiums too. Uh, oh sure, being my, own, sure. being my only chance. But the the thing is, is that a primary a primary and caucus system, a delegate allocation system, is, is different than a general election, as we all know. And you have to be concerned. It's a two front war, and half of the half of the war, as it were, is fought behind the scenes where the average voter never sees it, and Every one of the more professionally organized campaigns, they're organized to fight the second part of the war. Even the Sanders campaign is well enough organized 
that they know what they need to do to, to round up uh, the delegates they need, if not to win, to stop Mrs. Clinton, maybe from yeah. winning, keep this from being drawn out. Right. The yeah. campaign is, is behaving in a way in a lot of these states, and I don't think they have to do this in New York, simply because Trump is a New Yorker. So the whole situation changes for him there. But in a lot of these states, and maybe this is not true in some of the, those that have a close proximity to New York, like Connecticut, but in a lot of these states, his supporters are, are behaving as though this has been stolen from them. And no, well, it's, I promise you it's not. It, it and, 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 and David, I'm going to stop you for a minute, and, and here's yeah. why. The, the allure and the draw of Trump is as the non-politician. And yes, right. he's 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 donated to campaigns. He's he's gone out and spoken for politicians before. He's even run, I believe, one time before. Right. Um, but right. here's here's the thing: the Trump campaign has been focused on the people portion, and by people, I mean drawing people to the polls and getting them to vote. They haven't focused and i don't think you know there if he's the anti politician then it makes absolute and complete sense that he would not be focused on the backroom deals and that he wouldn't be trying to you know trying to press the flesh so to so to speak with the state party leadership with the you know, with the with the delegate wranglers, with all of that, that just clicked for me. That 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 is, in my opinion, why you're seeing his campaign go. Wait a minute, we've done the work, we've gotten the people to the polls, we've we've won these percentages. What do you mean? <laughs> and yes, okay, that is amateurish. That is. You know, and, and that's kind of why you know I look at it. You know, I look at politics two ways: one from an ideologue standpoint, which honestly is is a lot of the ways that Donald Trump is looking at it, um, or at least Donald well, Trump's campaign. And well, then from the realist, and then from the realist perspective of, okay, but this is how the system has grown and become you know what is our p- current political system you know and and you know as far as donald trump being you know in politics in the past and i'll i'll, I'll shut up in a minute um you know the the average american has a hummingbird's attention span and i just forgot what i was going to say no I, i'm dead serious they they've got a a hummingbird's attention span so you can't get them <coughs> excuse me to remember a, an event that was covered for five days last year, let alone what Donald Trump did in the mid-90s. I mean, yeah, the, camp, the Trump campaign does does play on people's gullibility um, and inability to remember the past. Um, and, and certainly... Everybody's that's, that's campaign for, does. Who brought well, up half, yeah. who's brought up anything from the 20, 20, 2008 presidential run of Hillary Clinton at this point? Hell, we can't get him to talk about the emails. How are we going to get him to talk about what she said, what she did as senator? Yeah. Well, 
But I think the thing with Trump, Trump changes his position sometimes in the middle of a sentence. Um, and I think that, that this is, you know, problematic, but at any rate, I think that, you know, it's it is a situation where it's not cheating, it's just the way he has run his campaign, you know, and it does portend very badly for the fall. You say, well, you know, you get the, you know, which the Trump campaign argument, we get these independents out and we get people who don't actually do anything in politics out to support us. Um, and then you get into the fall and you don't have anyone to volunteer and to do all these things because they look at your campaign and it looks like something they saw on a newsreel about the 1930s. Um, <laughs> and there's uh, less interest in uh, taking part in that. And um, I, I think that that is, you know, it's the strength of the Trump campaign is he gets to act like, you know, he's not a politician. He doesn't know what he's talking about, even though four years ago he was taunting Rick Santorum about his disorganization. You know, on Twitter he was going, you know, Santorum doesn't have a professional campaign. He doesn't have things together, um, you know, and this I is – that, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, and so, yeah, going around acting like, you know, they're just trying to steal it from me. And there is the theory that Trump, uh, since he would face a rather colossal defeat in November and um, would rather lose at a broker convention where he can spend the rest of his life talking about how he was robbed. And if that America had made him, if the Republicans hadn't stolen the nomination, he would have been the greatest president ever. Um, and just being able to tell those sort of stories. And, well, you know, he will have a permanent political following forever if that happens. It does kind of make you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist when it comes to Trump, other than to believe that he might be a Clinton plant. I've always believed that from the beginning. Um, but you know, I think if that actually happens, he will have a permanent political following. It may be a small following, relatively speaking, but he'll be have a permanent following. Um, I agree with, with Hatton in this respect. Even though it is erroneous, it is, it is in fact, as I said before, it's in fact wrong to view the, the second tier of that process as simply catering to the establishment because most of the people you're going to have to deal with are not uh, necessarily political class sort of people. You would be dealing with, with people like, um, well, me, okay? Um, I have been involved in our county party, and uh, I'm, I'm not a, a delegate to the National Convention, although I was asked to be one uh, by the Santorum campaign at the beginning of this process. Um, uh, I, I'm not going to be a delegate to the National Convention, but uh, I do sit on a county committee, which means that I have the ear of members of the state executive committee, and I, or theoretically I do, and I actually do if I wanted to. Uh, and I, if I had really wanted to push and influence this uh, delegate selection process, I could have. Well, I should. In a perfect world, someone like me, maybe not necessarily me, should be getting a phone call or a or a, a, just a hello at a party function or a Lincoln Day dinner or something from a Trump surrogate on the ground. Um, hello, how are you? I understand you, David Oatney, you're 
blah, 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 blah. Well, but what I've noticed in a lot of these states, and I noticed it here in Tennessee, he did very well in the vote here, you know, uh, in, in some of these rural counties, and he, he won the state, but he had no, other than having a lot of grassroots supporters on the ground that supported him, they weren't necessarily party people, with a couple of exceptions. Um, he didn't have a ground operation. He didn't have surrogates in in these counties. Ted Cruz did. Marco Rubio did. Um, And and when it comes to delegate organization, that's where it hurts him. A a professional campaign is going to have surrogates, even if they are volunteers, in virtually every county in a given state, they're going to have somebody that, that can either get a phone call or give one, uh, and give maybe 20 minutes of their time a week to the to to making a few phone calls for the campaign. That's really all it takes. But Trump hasn't had that, and uh, you're seeing it in places like Colorado. You'll see it, I think, to some degree in Pennsylvania, uh, and that's where it's going to hurt his campaign in the fall if he is the nominee because. Um, if you don't have that ground organization in place from the primaries and you won the primaries and you're the nominee and you've won the delegate selection process, you go to the convention and you get nominated and you don't have the ground organization already in place, then all of a sudden you're running for the presidency against a Hillary Clinton who, who, trust me, has had the ground operation in place since 2008. Well, um, and what's and one thing that I think was somewhat astounding um, is that after Ohio and um, Florida voted, Trump essentially laid off his entire staff in those two states, which Republicans have not you know, won the presidency uh, without those states in uh, decades. Now, uh, I, I couldn't get over that because his power base in – uh, Florida was widespread, but in Ohio, his power base was in a very poor rural section of the state. Well, and one and thing he could afford to lose was staff people on the ground in in that part of the state going into the general election if he was going to be the nominee, and he does something like this. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. It was very very much not in keeping with somebody that is supposedly the Republican frontrunner. Well, and yeah. you know, we in the early conventions they uh, for, for selecting delegates in Florida, um, no no one who was picked in this first round is an identifiable Trump supporter. Several were key supporters of Marco Rubio. Um, so once again, he is setting himself up for second ballot problems as well. Yeah. Um, Guys. I want to ask. Oh. I've I've actually got to step out. It's um, it's eleven thirty here, and I'm I, I've I've had a very long day. I bet you have. Uh, <laughs> I bet you have. Boy, I would have loved him in a fly on the wall happen. Uh, if that conversation was right. Um, I, <laughs> I said I said it was a cordial conversation. We, you know, it it, it is what it is. You know, she won as usual. So, uh, <laughs> what did they do? 
thank you so right. much for being with us, Hatton. Um, no, thank you so much. Thank you so much I, for having me. I, I love you, my brother. I appreciate your time. Love yeah, you too, thank, you, thank you so much, and hopefully we will see you on one of these future shows. Yeah, um, we'll, the, one, yeah. the one thing I wanted to ask before we went into the actual district by district is Indiana. I, I think that after tonight, that is a, uh, voting the first, of May, uh, first week of May. That's a crucial state now for Ted Cruz. I think that is... Um, that is going to, you know, that is incredibly important to, you know, because he's not going to have a good week next week either. And he yeah. might win Delaware. Um, how important is it for Ted Cruz to win Indiana next week? I mean, be, in two weeks. It's going to be absolutely critical. I think we're going to, in, in, in two weeks' time, we're going to see, we're going to begin to see a spate of states. Because as you know, this entire process of voting ends with the state of California in June. Um, and we're going to see a situation where, um, you know, this is really going to be do or die now for Ted Cruz um, in the sense that we've been, we've been told now for several weeks that we could be in for a broker convention. I'm given to understand, although I've not been able to confirm it, that, you know, the uh, party brass and national committee uh, has had a series of of subcommittee type meetings to plan for the possibility of a broker convention and the negotiations that would take place over the rules, um, things like that. I mean, that's how certain they were that it could be a possibility. But I'm going to tell you, if Ted Cruz does not win in Indiana and he does not win some of these primaries in some of these more friendly states in the weeks ahead, uh, I think it's going to be if we don't have a, a situation where Trump goes in as the presumptive nominee, then we could have a situation where he'll just be a few delegates short and he could win it on the second ballot with the right kind of negotiations. Well, Cruz, I don't... Has to, Cruz has to win convincingly in some of these states. Uh, and, and he's got to do well. He's certainly got to do better than he did tonight. Yeah, I... The good thing is he hasn't gone around, you know, saying Donald Trump has Maryland values and um, Nebraska values or things like that. So that will always be helpful. Um, I think you can take a lesson that when you're running for president of the whole country, you know, New York values might be a good insult for Texas primary, but I think it just – it was a, it was, you know – as much as people defended it, it was not a smart statement for him to make when you're running to be president of the whole country. Um, I, I think that it's it's going to be crucial. I don't think Donald Trump wins this on the second ballot at all because already Cruz has outmaneuvered him in so many states that on a second ballot he's going to have a flood of, of delegates going towards Cruz um, regardless, but you may see a much deeper convention, and you may see a convention that ends with somebody other than Ted Cruz um, emerging victorious or Donald Trump. As it is with Trump's incompetency in the delicate allocation, it's very hard to see him walking into the convention with much more than four to 500 delegates who are actually loyalists to Donald Trump. Um, I think you may see less than that, but 
I do think most of the people going into the convention will honor the commitment um, that the state require of them. If they are Donald Trump delegates, they're going to vote for Donald Trump on the first ballot, and those states, like mine, that require two ballots for voting for your candidate, uh, you're going to see Trump's people, uh, Trump's delegates vote for him on both ballots. Um, right. if, if, if we make it to a third ballot is where you really see the, the, the chaos, as it were. Well, once you get to to ballot two, 60% of the delegates are male. Um, It does, you know, it just really does get to, you know, total chaos if not. Um, When we do actually um, look at the results by district, and mostly it is, you know, Donald Trump getting a majority, but he dominates uh, some districts to a great degree, like, uh, 75% in New York second, which does um, leave him um, uh, falling short of 50% in New York's 10th district. He only gets 45% of the vote, and that Kasich will pick up a delegate there. Um, New York's 12th district. Um, actually, John Kasich... Um, has by 69 votes, he's won the 12th district, and he will pick up two delegates from there. Um, so that is one district that Donald Trump did not win uh, in New York City, uh, the 12th district, all of the precincts in. And you know, I doubt Donald Trump will be calling for a recount. So that's two delegates uh, for uh, for Kasich. Um, New York's 20th. This one is very tight right now. Uh, tr- uh, in terms of Trump hitting 50%, he leads 49.25 to 32.69. There's still eight precincts out, but I think uh, I think that he will probably end up under 50% in that district. Um, and in uh, New York's 24th, um, he only he, um, that one he's 48 to 35. And uh, so in that district, John Kasich will pick up a delegate. Uh, so one there, one there. <laughs> I, I, it will be interesting to see if I need to use a second hand to count the Kasich delegates. Uh, two, four. He's got five. Uh, John Kasich will get five, at least five delegates. Um, he may potentially get a sixth delegate. Um, in the 13th congressional district. Uh, right now, Donald Trump is as a, as a, exactly 50% of the vote there. Uh, there are still 26 precincts left uh, to uh, be uh, to report. Um, so uh, he could still uh, fall beneath, uh, still be under a majority in the 10th, in the, um, um, in the 13th district. So, but other than that, um, Donald Trump wins all but one of New York's districts. He'll win at least 89 delegates, perhaps as many as uh, 90. Um, So um, everything has pretty much gone to plan for Donald Trump. And certainly this was what he needed to do to have a shot at 1,237. And John Kasich... He um, gets his first delegates in more than a month. 
six delegates to the convention, and um, I, I think it will be a very um, uh, it will be interesting to see where John Kasich goes next week um, in terms of whether he's able to turn this into some momentum, particularly in places like Connecticut. Well, he can't make a case for himself, realistically, I don't think. Uh, to be a nominee of a multi-ballot convention, which I think was what he was going for. He's hoping, hoping not only for a contested convention, but I think John Kasich only wins the nomination or has a shot at it if the convention goes to three or more ballots. And um, which I think is what he's hoping for. Well, he, in order for that to have, for him to have make be able to make a case. I think he's got to pick up more delegates. He's he's got to be able to go to that convention with um, a, a case that he can represent more of the party, not just the country. Yeah, we know that he does well in national head head polls, but you know if you don't have the support of your party grassroots, um, it's going to be hard to make that case in, in the fall to the base. And he's got to do better at, at that if he's going to have a shot. I, I think we can see what he's trying to do. I'm not sure that it's, that it's sound. I will say that if we go to a convention that goes beyond a third ballot and we haven't decided a nominee by the end of ballot number three, uh, then I really do believe that it's going to be somebody other than one of these three. Um, yeah, I, 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 the thing, you know, I, I think that... When you look at the convention, the important thing, you know, and I think what we, we keep in mind when we talk about this is it's not like we're sending up, it's a convention and we have um, the establishment, which is 2,400 um, odd people who look like Snidely Whiplash, uh, the evil establishment picking the nominee. You're going to have a very broad uh, division of the party. You'll have some Trump loyalists. Um, you'll have some crews. You'll have, I think, probably a lot more people who are conservatives, who are loyalists, uh, particularly initially towards Ted Cruz. And then you'll have more moderate people, and then you'll have regular, um, uh, regular Republicans, and you need to form a coalition. To be honest, you know, when you get to the floor of the convention, you know, it's a question of, you know, bringing the party together, bringing together enough people from these various coalitions. Is he going to get the Trump people to come over and support him? Um, I don't think so. Um, is he going to get um, the Cruz people to support him? I don't think so. And right there, I think I a lot of it, that's the thing about Kasich. Uh, a lot of the cruise people that I know uh, just have no stomach for John Kasich. Um, and, and some of that is Kasich shooting himself in the foot. Some of the comments that he's made do not lend themselves to winning conservative support. Uh, and if he needs to, he's going to need to win over uh, the conservative, the conservative anti-Trump group. Well, and he's not, he's not lending himself to that. The Trump diehard folks, uh, I hesitate, Adam, to think they'll support anybody other than Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I think that there, there's that concern, but I think people who actually go to the convention, um, will, you know, there may be some who walk out and are replaced by alternates, but I think people who go 
to the convention are probably going to, in general, have a bigger stake in the party. Um, that's the thing about, and that's the other thing that I think a lot of, of Trump voters or, or people complaining about Trump having the deck stacked against him don't understand. People that go to the convention, just about everybody, with the exception of high political office holders, presidents, vice presidents, major governors, that kind of thing, um, just just about everybody that, that goes there, uh, not only are they uh, party loyalists, some of them are from the political class, a lot of them are are either wealthy enough or they're retired. In a lot of cases, they're retired. And they can volunteer their time to do this. But they're going on their own dime or someone else is paying for them to go. Um, but either way, they're going uh, to the convention not on the public dime. Uh, they or, or someone who is funding them funding their way to the national convention. And so these people are going because they are that committed to the party, whoever they are. Right. And so uh, and they're paying their way there because they're that committed, whoever they are. This takes, to do that takes time and effort. That's the primary reason why you don't see me going to the national. Boy, I'd love to be there. I, I, I'd love to be just a fly on the wall. Forget about being a delegate. Uh, this is going to be a history-making affair and I'd love to be there, but it really costs a lot of money. Right, three to five thousand dollars. So these people that are going, they are invested in this. You know, some of them can afford it because they're wealthy. A lot of them, um, like I have a friend. She's a former executive committee woman, and she does have some money. But really, she's put aside money to, to go to the national convention. I have other friends that. That, that's what they're doing. They're putting aside, uh, they put aside some money. They're going as delegates or they're going as alternates. And um, they're investing in this. It's something they believe in doing. They believe in the party, and so they're going to the convention for whoever it is they're supporting uh, or, or whatever, whatever candidate they're assigned to as delegate. And so they're going to, I'm sure, take actions that they believe. Uh, in the end, they're going to be in the best interest of the party, and I'm sure some of those actions are going to disagree with one another, but the reality is that someone who's invested in this of their own time, talent, and treasure, um, they've got a bigger stake in it than, than just the average voter. No question about it. Yeah, and so I think they'll probably less likely to blow it up than the than the average Trump supporter sitting there watching it on cable TV or watching reruns of the latest reality show and you know waiting for an update on the convention. Um, so I I think that yeah it, it, it will the convention is a reality show. You know they want Donald Trump to get up and tell everybody they're fired. You know, I think we might actually have a better process if we implemented actual reality show uh, metrics into the um, process. You know, did a good reality show. We've just been doing crummy reality shows. Um, but <laughs> um, I do think that um, uh, we, de we definitely um, we, we definitely are going to to see. Uh, I will say this. I will make this bold prediction that I think that there is a greater chance 
of Marco Rubio being nominated in a contested uh, convention than John Kasich. Um, I think that's a legitimate statement. Yes. Because, you know, the fact is, you know, I, basically going out there and getting your kick, your head kicked in week after week. And, you know, fair, fair enough here, John Kasich gets the silver medal this week. But it's such a, you know, it's like his finish in Massachusetts um, and so many of these other states. When you look at the places he's finished even second in, it's been Massachusetts, it's been District of Columbia, and it's been Vermont. Um, and New Hampshire. And the only one of those that has a slight chance of going Republican is New Hampshire. Um, and I think that, you know, it's really problematic just going out there and losing week after week after week and collecting, you know, 50,000 votes or something, you know, when you get into, um, you know, when you get into places like Indiana, Nebraska, you know, I think that it's going to be a kind of, you know, uh, after next week, uh, I think certainly he can continue on and say, you know, to, you know, to Rhino Tuesday and say to people in Maryland and to people in Pennsylvania, look, you saw what Ted Cruz did in New York. You're not behind me. I will win. And if he wins, say, in Maryland or Pennsylvania, then he's got some, you know, or Connecticut, then he's got some legitimate way to carry on. But if we go through next week, he doesn't win anything, then it just kind of becomes, okay, you know, what exactly are you doing here? And I think that's the question he's really going to have to answer. Well, he, he, one thing he's running out of is money um, and, and time. I, Kasich is just kind of hanging around. And he's beginning to get a lot of criticism from, well, he's had it for several months, but now he's really beginning to get it from from a lot of the newspapers in Ohio that traditionally support him for spending so much time away from home on a fruitless pursuit. And, uh, you know, while the legislature goes about doing their business. And in Ohio, you know, you, you don't, it's not like Tennessee or some of the other states down here where the legislature can essentially function independent of the governor. And the governor has such a limited power that uh, they, they don't even really need for him to be around um, in order for the state to go on about its business. But that's not the case in Ohio. That's not the way the Constitution and the law there works. And uh, the governor cannot be away for an indefinite amount of time without it having an impact on the politics of the state in a negative way, whoever the governor is. And so you're beginning to see um, some, some criticism of that from some outlets in Ohio that traditionally have supported Kasich. That should be a signal to him to reevaluate his situation, but apparently it's not. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that that does, you know, it does become, you know, a key, you know, it does get to this point where it's, where you, you've got to convince your own party. And I think it's been telling, too, because uh, the one thing I think would have been a great sign for John Kasich is if after, um, um, is it after Rubio got out of the race, if establishment money and resources started coming his way, and it just didn't. 
And I think it says something about, you know, where people, um, you know, how seriously people take him, which uh, I think is not, you know, it's not serious at all for those who you really need to win campaigns. It's the same thing, you know, basically, I think John Kasich is the Donald Trump of newspaper endorsements. Um, (laughs) And, you know, because Kasich's campaign has had two big accomplishments besides winning Ohio. First, he's won, you know, newspaper endorsements from coast to coast, and he's shown how irrelevant newspaper endorsements are to picking a Republican presidential campaign. Those are the two accomplishments um, that John Kasich has. Um, and I, I think he's, he does have to evaluate. I mean, New York, it, it's, you know, I think the reason he finished second is just because Ted Cruz is so unpopular. Um, and, you know, because he's been basically super packed, and he announced he was doing an ad against Ted Cruz, and it was a web ad, and a web ad, of course, because he can't afford to be on television. And, you know, and I think that's what makes it so he, you know, he finishes so far behind uh, Donald Trump. And Trump can basically just go after Ted Cruz and really minimize Cruz's vote without having to really seriously worry about John Kasich. Um, well, it's like I told you some time ago when Kasich did win Ohio. Uh, and that is that if we go to a broker convention and somehow Donald Trump is denied the nomination and the party is saved from the disaster that would be Trump, and, and I say that in, in this, losing this election will be horrible for the country, but not necessarily a disaster for the party, uh, Republican Party, unless the nominee is Donald Trump. Well, I do think that, that John Kasich, if Trump is stopped, will be remembered as the man who did that the man who is responsible for that. Because if Trump had won Ohio, um, number one, that would have been the end of John Kasich, perhaps the end of his political career, in the sense that, um, you know, after he left office his his second term as governor, I don't think he ever would have been able to run for anything in Ohio with a straight face again if he couldn't have beat Donald Trump there. But but the... the, um, the reality is that uh, he managed to show, yes, I understand I'm, I'm the beloved two-term governor of this state, but Don, there was a point in the race when Donald Trump was supposed to run away with Ohio, despite the fact that his opponent was John Kasich there. Uh, and that didn't happen. John Kasich showed that Donald Trump could be stopped. We can legitimately say that John Kasich uh, showed the world that Donald Trump was vulnerable. John Kasich should get the credit, I believe, for being the one that showed those of us who who really think this man is dangerous that he can be stopped and how to stop him. But the reality is that just because John Kasich did that does not mean that he would be a good presidential nominee. I've never really thought that he was the best presidential material the party could put forward. Right. I mean, of the 17 running, he was about number 14 um, uh, on my list. Um, Kind of the lowest acceptably ranked um, candidate. Um, 
Right. He was a little higher on mine. But, you know, I have a bit of a personal bias toward him. Right. Well, well I, you know, am... I, don't, I don't think that he is, first and foremost, I could look at anyone in our initial field, including Senator Santorum, including uh, Senator Rubio, and, I, you know, I think that there were a number of candidates that were just better candidates than John Kasich. John Kasich just happened to be smart enough to, to know if I sit this out long enough and wait till Ohio, I might be able to bust through and stay in this thing to the, to the convention. And well, uh, that, that appears to be what he's trying to do. Well, I do think that at the convention he will have some uh, impact. I, I think that, you know, in terms of Kasich loyalists, you know, I think that the Ohio delegation is going to be fairly loyal. And I think the Michigan delegates, which he's got 17 of those, so probably he will have a solid block of about 86 voters. Uh, and he's also, his campaign is claiming that because um, Indiana elects their um, uh, delegates before the primary, he's he's claiming that he's got essentially half of the slate who would be committed to him on a second ballot. Um, and, and though there are sources in Indiana who are kind of casting doubt on that. But I think certainly 80, 100 um, really loyalists who would stick through it with him for a good while at the convention anyway, uh, certainly that's going to matter in a close and tight convention. Um, and he did, of course, he added five delegates, but I think these that he won on the first, uh, that will be with him on the first ballot um, in New York, I mean, in uh, Cleveland. Um, but beyond that, it's somewhat questionable. Well, I think we've about covered all these states. Um, <laughs> or New York is the only state, but we've talked about that quite a bit. And uh, next week is Rhino Tuesday. With us. I, I will say that. I, I, I really enjoy his company, and I enjoy having him listen, particularly on a night like tonight when, when we're really talking about something he knows better than either of us do. And um, I really let him know if you talk to him how much I appreciate uh, his being here. Yeah, and definitely. It's good to have another voice, another perspective, because, you know, we we agree so much. I mean, he agrees, we agree with him most of the time, but it's refreshing to, you know, have that additional voice and additional perspective. Um, very important. Most of the time, you're right. There are a few things you and I disagree on, but most of most of our disagreements are process stuff. Yeah, and the fact that you know I'm a Rockies fan, you're a Cubs fan, and that came into some conflict um, last week when you were sitting there on Facebook cheering against my Rockies, but uh, we, we we let that sort of thing pass. Um, but um, at any rate, um, we'll be back. Next week for Rhino Tuesday, um, or perhaps we should call it Revenge of the Rhinos um, in our Super Tuesday 3, and uh, we're going to have some interesting uh, uh, days ahead, and certainly this is, you know, uh, 
this is a, a good knot for Donald Trump and a knot where he met and perhaps now even exceeded uh, expectations a bit. But uh, it is far from over, and there is so much of the campaign uh, going. And as Donald Trump said, we need to, as we go through this process, we need to very seriously take uh, stock and remember those things that matter most, like 7-Eleven. Um, <laughs> uh, Donald but on stupid line of the week, we should come up with a segment. I actually, stupid line of the week. I actually saw a great graphic, um, which unfortunately doesn't communicate well in the audio medium. But um, <laughs> all right, well that will actually do it for now. Um, Join us back here next week. Uh, thanks so much for Hatton Humphreys for being with us earlier. And, uh, David, thank you once again uh, for providing coverage from Watt Pine. Um, from Boise, Idaho, this is Adam Graham signing off. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.